grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Some of the great works of poetry, art, music, creative works that we look back on that stand the test of time and are beautiful to us often come from a place of distress. So the most beautiful poetry and songs come from a place of trouble. Take, for example, the hymn, the hymn writer Paul Gerhardt, who lived in the 1600s. Paul Gerhardt experienced much suffering in his life. He lived at a time where him and his congregation as a pastor were living under the Thirty Years' War, a brutal war in Germany, and they lived through a great plague. His family experienced incredible tragedy. He lost four of his five children at a young age, and later his wife became sick and she died. How is it that in the midst of such sorrow, a man like Gerhardt can write, This is a sight that gladdens, what peace it doth impart. Now nothing ever saddens the joy within my heart. At the same time, we see others who do not respond this way to tragedy. There are others like, for example, the writer Mark Twain. Mark Twain was able to make many people laugh. In fact, he was famous for being a great lecturer, in addition to being a great writer, and could make the crowds laugh. Yet when he would go home, he was filled with sorrow. When he lost his daughter at a young age, he said to his friend, I have never greatly envied anyone but the dead. I always envy the dead. Have you ever envied the dead? What is it that makes the difference between these two reactions to similar tragedies and sorrows? What is it that Mark Twain seemed to be missing, but Paul Gerhardt was filled with? The hymn verse Gerhardt continues, No gloom shall ever shake, no foe shall ever take the hope which God's own Son in love for me has won. He's writing about the resurrection. Awake my heart with gladness, because the resurrection is what makes the difference between these two reactions. And that's what we're here to look at today in the book of Philippians. In the book of Philippians, the same reaction is coming through from a man who knew a lot about suffering. In fact, we read about him being beaten and wrongly imprisoned. It comes from a man, in fact, who is writing from a prison cell, a Roman lockdown. How is it that Paul, the apostle, can write, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians, a letter which has been called the Epistle of Joy. It is said that the Apostle Peter was the one who wrote the Epistle of Hope in 1 Peter, and Paul wrote the Epistle of Joy in Philippians. And yet both of them came out of a place of distress. The Epistle of Hope was written to the persecuted and distressed and scattered Christian church, a time of great persecution, and the epistle of joy was written from a man who's locked up in a Roman prison. 
How is this possible? Christian joy is something that's often misunderstood. It's something that is not rightly understood because either we have not thought about it properly or we've not experienced it properly. We lose sight of it from time to time and perhaps you've lost sight of joy for a long time. We've lived through our own lockdowns. For example, prolonged pandemic like COVID can make us wonder where our joy has gone, but that's because we've got the wrong idea. We hear a verse like chapter 4, verse 13. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Maybe you see it on a co-worker's coffee cup. Or you see it on a plaque on the wall. And you think, boy, I wish I could be like that Christian. I wish I could do all things through Christ, but I find myself failing. I wish I could be happy all the time, but I'm not. How do they do it? Why can't I be like those other Christians? But the problem here is we've taken this one verse out of context. We've grabbed onto this one verse, which is okay to do and have a memorable verse, but you have to always know what is the context in which this verse is being written. We've taken this verse and decided it means that Christians are superheroes. They don't get sad. They don't get angry. They're not afraid. They can do all things through Christ who strengthens them. But that's not the context. These verses fit within greater verses, which fit within a whole letter of a man that's writing from a prison cell. Do you think Paul didn't get sad? Paul is in total lockdown, and all people, we would think that this letter he writes would really be one for complaining. The circumstances of a Roman prison were anything but pleasant. We would expect that Paul would be writing instructions for these Christians to get him out of there, take some legal action, or directing them plans for resistance and revolt. But that's not why he's writing. In fact, the reason why he writes this letter is to thank them for sending him a gift. What prompts it is that they've sent him a gift in the hands of another disciple named Epaphroditus, which came to Paul in prison, and he wants to thank them, whether it was food or clothing or parchments or money. They sent him some kind of a gift, and he wants to thank them for it. He doesn't have any more plans. He does want to come visit them, and he's waiting. So he's going to send Epaphroditus back with this letter. And while he sends this letter to thank them, he also wants to remind them what they should be thankful for. He wants to remember them that he's found joy in the midst of this worst of circumstances, and he wants them to find the same joy no matter what circumstances they are finding themselves in. That this joy is heavenly. He wants them to press on through every difficulty to find that heavenly joy. And that's the case with all of us. God wants to give all of you something that the world and circumstance cannot take away. 
a heavenly joy. But it's something we have to learn. It's not something that comes naturally. It's not something we're born with. We have to learn it. We have to go through lockdowns. Now, we've learned what a lockdown is from COVID, and perhaps our state not as much so as maybe some people you know in other states. South Carolina has actually had it pretty easy We have some rules and laws, but for the most part, we've been able to come back to church and we've been able to continue going about our business with a few inconveniences. In other states, it's not so. In fact, there's some places where churches are still not yet gathering indoors. In California, for instance, they were actually ruled that they could not go back until the Supreme Court stepped in and said it was unconstitutional, and yet still the government said they could restrict singing. Now this is a small example based on a pandemic which actually has good reason for Christians to be concerned about other people's health risks. But imagine now that it was actually a state of persecution that was making this happen. Imagine that it was actually because of your beliefs that these restrictions were happening. There's just a little taste of it here, but it's not really that bad. Compared to what Paul was going through, compared to what the Christian church has has gone through, we really don't have a clue what it means to suffer. Not in the ultimate sense of persecution. Paul says, do all things without complaining and disputing. So the Lord can lead us through these times at little, on the little level and on the big level, times of suffering. And yet, even in the lockdown of a prison cell, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. You know, he has to repeat that word rejoice. It wasn't enough for him to say it once. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Why is that? Well, you hear this sermon once. You go out the door. You think, boy, I like what pastor said about joy. That sounds great. I'm going to be happy this week. You go out the door and you're determined to be happy. Maybe you're happy for a while, for a day, for a couple days, until that person that really gets to you says that thing that you hate, a co-worker, even a friend, a spouse. Something happens to change those circumstances, and then all of a sudden that desire, that intention to be happy is gone. So Paul says, again I will say, I have to say it more than once because we know It's not going to last the first time. It's not just something that we can just turn on with our willpower. In fact, joy is more than a feeling. Joy is more than an act of the will. We might say choose joy, and yet still we should understand, yes, it's not just something that happens on their own. It's something that we have to choose to find joy, to learn joy. But even then, it's not an act of our will that we can be determined to be happy. It has to be something deeper. Paul uses the word rejoicing, joy, and gladness 19 times in the book of Philippians. You think he's trying to get a point across. And yet the second most concept that he mentions 
is the mind. Next to rejoicing, he uses the word mind or thinking 15 times. Which means that on the one hand, he wants us to know what joy is. On the other hand, he needs us to know it has to do with our mindset. What's going on in your mind? The lockdown really doesn't occur out there from forces we have no control over. That's not the true lockdown. The lockdown happens in our mind, where we're held in bondage to grief or anger or fear or shame. Sin has to be addressed directly, first as a problem of the heart. That sin contaminates our heart. And then we learn of the redemption of our heart through Christ Jesus. But that is the truth that comes out of our heart and then affects our mind. Jesus has to unlock the prison of our mind. Like Paul Gerhardt and the Apostle Paul, we have to see the sight that gladdens. So let me share two examples from Scripture of this happening. First of all, the apostles. What were they doing the night when, after Jesus rose from the dead? You know, we would think, first of all, they're probably rejoicing. No. Even though the women had seen it, they'd relayed the message. Most of those men hadn't seen it. They were behind locked doors. They were in the upper room where they had met with Jesus originally, and they were in the upper room locked in for fear of the Jews and the Romans. These were the Jews who successfully had plotted and carried out the execution of what they considered a rebellion that the disciples were a part of, and the Romans who had flexed their muscles to show that Caesar is Lord and no other by crucifying their leader. And so now they're locking themselves in. They're afraid. What if it happens to them too? Jesus has to break down those locked doors. In fact, he doesn't break them down because he doesn't have to. He goes right through them. The risen Christ isn't held by walls and barriers and time and space. He just passes right through into their midst. And what's the first thing he says? Peace to you. But Thomas, after hearing the news, he wasn't there, doesn't believe. You see, he's has his own lockdown in his mind. He's locked Christ out of his mind, thinking this just isn't possible. I have to see it with my own eyes. I have to touch it myself. So the Lord has to appear to Thomas also and have him touch the scars to see that the risen Christ is alive and set him free. Set him free, set all of them free from their fears of what could happen. Set them free from their shame. Set them free from themselves. The second example is what happened to the Apostle Paul when he himself first went to Philippi. So you have to remember, Paul was imprisoned several times in his life. We know of three specific imprisonments throughout the book of Acts. And we can infer that there might have been a fourth or even a fifth imprisonment. That he was in prison close to five years in the course of his ministry. 
after being converted. He says here, and he writes this letter from a prison cell to the Philippians, and perhaps he's even thinking back because it was in a prison cell where he first experienced what Philippi was all about. He came to the city, as we heard, because the Holy Spirit moved him to go there. His first trip into Europe, his first trip into Greece, and the first person he meets is a woman who sells linens. He shares with her the news of Jesus Christ, and she, her heart is opened by the Lord, and she believes. Then he meets a girl who's a slave and possessed by a demon. And he casts out that demon and sets that same slave girl free. The magistrates get angry with him because he's taken away their profit, and so they lock him up in that prison cell in Philippi. So here's Paul in the darkness of a Roman prison cell, after the Lord had told him to go to the city, blessed his first meeting with a conversion, set free a slave girl who was possessed by a demon, preached the word in that city, and now he's locked up. In chains, total lockdown. How is he going to deal with that situation? The Apostle Paul had to learn what it meant to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice because he had to go through it. This isn't something we can just teach to you from the pulpit. It's something you have to walk out the door and live through. In whatever way the Lord chooses to let you live through it. Maybe it's not the darkness of a prison cell. But in one way or another, you're going to go through those trials. And it's out of these trials that we learn what the true joy is. It's an unchangeable truth that Christ is risen. And it's from that place and that faith that Paul and Silas do not complain. They don't call for justice. They sing hymns. They sing hymns out of that prison cell and all the other prisoners are listening. As we said in the psalm, let all creation praise the Lord. All creation should be burst is bursting forth with the praises of our Lord this spring. And it's as if a low bass timpani is pounding under his feet to shake the foundations loose and the shackles are broken. The doors are open. He's free. But you see, Paul and Silas know better. They know the true freedom is not because they can walk out those doors. They don't need to. They're already free from the moment they're singing those hymns and chapels. So they stay where they are. They don't run for freedom or for their lives until the jailer comes in and he's dumbfounded. He thought they had all fled and he was ready to kill himself. And there they are. They say, don't harm yourself, we're here. And his immediate reaction is, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. That's the truth that sets our mind free. We don't need to get out of that prison. 
We just need our mind to be set right. God knows what he is doing. And this is why the Apostle Paul writes in chapter 4 of Philippians, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me by sending the gift. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now do you see what that coffee cup means? I can do all things through Christ, through strengthens me. It doesn't have to do with accomplishing great feats of Christian might. It's about contentment. That's what it means to do all things. That's what it means to have strength. Is that whether the circumstances are going this way or that way, the Lord brings us back to the eternal truths. Contentment. Now do you see? This is the sight that gladdens, what peace it doth impart. Now nothing ever saddens the joy within my heart. No gloom shall ever shake, no foe shall ever take, the hope which God's own Son in love for me hath won. Amen.